This is Horsin' Around with Broncos insider Andrew Mason. Oh my God! Each week, Mace takes you inside the Denver Broncos. I like it! Players, coaches, insiders, and of course, with a twist only Mace can provide. Buddy duddies! Now, here's Orange and Blue 760's Andrew Mason. We're horsing around as the Broncos get ready for a rookie minicamp this upcoming weekend. I'm Andrew Mason of DenverBroncos.com and Orange and Blue 760. Joined this week by the esteemed inimitable co-host of First and 10, 10 from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Mountain Time and Orange and Blue 760, Ryan Edwards. I hope that is an intro that measures up to the kind of intros you give me sometimes <laughs> when you're plugging my book. Yeah, it, it's it's right up there. Thank you, Mace. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I think when we had you on, when I was filling in on KOA, we had you called you the legendary Andrew Mason. I, I meant that. I mean, you think about you as an author. Legend among who? Among uh, a lot of people I know, the people I hang out with on a daily basis, I, I think consider you in that category. Mm-hmm. So, hey, listen, I appreciate that. And hey, uh, Some people consider us to be sensational. <laughs> yeah, if you check our text line. <laughs> Well, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. My pleasure. And as we sit here now, we're about two weeks past the draft. The rookies will be coming in. We're going to hear from them, of course, over the weekend. You go to DenverBroncos.com, Orange Blue 760. You'll be able to hear all of their interviews. Basically, all the drafted rookies will do press conferences at some point on Friday or Saturday. But I want to focus on players who are returning. And... I want to start with Emmanuel Sanders, who spoke at the Broncos Play 60 All-Ability Clinic late Tuesday afternoon, talked about his recovery from a torn Achilles, said he's not ahead of schedule, he's not behind schedule, he's on schedule, but also uh, said this about uh, what he expected his time frame to be in terms of what trainers and doctors could be telling We'll see. You know, you know how the trainers are. We're not going to put a date on anything. Uh, we're just going to go take it one day at a time. And, um, you know, hopefully I'm back out there by the end. But if I'm not, you know, I'm not going to rush it. I'm, I'm going to take my time and I'll make sure I'm 100% by the time I get on the field. So there he says he's not going to put a date on everything. So there, so there it is. He says he's not going to put a date on anything. Now, he's hoping to be back for the start of training camp. But it's an Achilles injury that he's coming off of. He just started to run in a straight line last week at full speed. He said he began doing lateral work on Tuesday, which is the precursor of being able to work on your cuts. He's still a ways off. We did see back in 2011 Demarius Thomas injure his Achilles in early February and be ready to go seven months later, but then have it pushed back by a finger injury, by pushed back another month and a half. But you are talking about a player going into year 10 on the other side of 30. It was a late-season injury last year, uh, early last December at Cincinnati. So, realistically, the time frame for him being available, it may not be the start of training camp. You may be talking about him on the pup list, and maybe to get him all the way back might be pushing it a little further down the line. So, Ryan, that sort of brings us to what the Broncos have done in the, in the last month in the draft. Cortland Sutton talking about how he feels he can be a wide receiver one. Early in the season, how might it look for the Broncos in terms of how the targets, the catches, are distributed? 
Well, I think that's a great question. And, I mean, it seems to me like you're going to be bringing Emmanuel Sanders along slowly no matter what the case is right now. And, and we talked to Mike Kliss a few months ago, and he said, you know, whatever you get out of Emmanuel Sanders, at least early in the season, should be considered a bit of a surprise. And so if you kind of tally that all together with even, even Emmanuel Sanders seemingly somewhat optimistic, and he wouldn't really get too committed to that, but let's just call it mild optimism. I think you say limiting snaps, li limiting opportunities that he's on the field, which means who's the, the next man up kind of thing. Well, first of all, you mentioned Cortland Sutton. I think we have to talk about how he needs to take a step forward. He says he needs to take a step forward. The thing about being a wide receiver one is which the Broncos are going to be considered him to be. Maybe he's not the top target guy. Maybe he's not the top receiver on the field. We can get into who that might be. But he's going to have to take his game to another level where teams can't take him out of the game. We saw that last year a couple times where teams – we were able to play press man. They, they realized his route tree wasn't very developed. So they, they use that against him oftentimes. He's going to have to work around that, and he's going to have to do that very quickly, especially if Emmanuel's not there as a compliment. Noah Fant, I know we want to talk a little about him, about what you can expect. And, you know, Deshaun Hamilton, for me, we, we looked at Mike Clay's projections. Now, this was before the Noah Fant signing. We looked at Mike Clay's projections, and he actually had Deshaun Hamilton in the slot receiving more targets than any other receiver on the team. Now, those targets, of course, some of them are going to go to Noah Fant. Maybe if Jake Budd is able to go, you're going to see some targets to him. But, the, but Deshaun Hamilton is your wide receiver, too, until Emmanuel Sanders is back on the field, and then he slots in. He's going to have to be able to take some of that load. The reason Cortland Sutton will have success is somebody on the other side taking away some of the pressure from Cortland Sutton. I expect big things from Cortland Sutton this year and beyond, but the reality is you're going to need somebody on the other side, maybe even two somebodies, dedicated to taking some of that pressure off of him and giving him the opportunities to have explosive plays. Yeah, I'm fascinated to see what Mike Clay of ESPN projects. He's actually starting to pump out a few of his post-draft projections, but that was interesting, having Deshaun Hamilton lead the team in touchdown catches by his projections. What is also interesting is last year, down the stretch, the last four games after Emmanuel Sanders was injured, Deshaun Hamilton averaging six catches a game. That's right. Now, you'd like to see that per catch average increase for him. It was below 10 yards last year. You want to see him nudge that to at least 10 yards a catch. But we're talking about Cortland Sutton a lot, and I really am glad you brought up Deshaun Hamilton because I think he's going under the radar right now. But in terms of being the guy who is your move-the-chains, underneath-threat, safety valve, someone who's reliable, he certainly is going to play a big role in this, and I think he can benefit as much as anyone by having Noah Fant there because if Noah Fant is able to be used on some seam routes and draw the safety over and you have to take him seriously as a downfield threat, things will open up underneath for Deshaun Hamilton. Remember last year, by the end of the year, of course, by week 17, you didn't have Philip Lindsay as well, but even in those weeks before, you didn't have Emmanuel Sanders. You also had injuries at the tight end. You were down to Matt Lacoste getting a lot of reps by then. With all respect to Matt Lacoste, uh, that wasn't what you were expecting at tight end going into the year. You were expecting Jake Butt and Jeff Hireman to provide some threat and take some of the pressure 
off the receiver running those underneath routes. And the Broncos, when they when they made the trade for Joe Flacco, was an anticipation of being a better downfield team, a better downfield throwing team, which will also, by the way, open up some of those underneath routes because teams are going to have to play you a little more honestly. So between Noah Fant, Cortland Sutton, running some of these deeper routes and, and potentially setting up for some ex explosive plays, there's going to be a lot opening up. And then that, that might be some opportunities for Deshaun Hamilton. I, I imagine Tim Patrick's going to see the field. But all this still does set up nicely for Emmanuel Sanders when he comes back. And that's where you say, okay, you don't have to rush him back if you're getting the kind of production you just described. I, I think what becomes the concern is if you're not getting the production out of Fant or Sutton because they're still young in their career and Deshaun Hamilton is still taking some time because everybody has the memory of last season when offensively they sputtered at times without Emmanuel and Philip Lindsay on the field. Uh, really, they, they were a different team without DT because DT took a lot of that coverage, a lot of that uh, in, intention away from Emmanuel. Emmanuel was having a wide receiver one kind of season then DT went away, and so Emmanuel had to be that guy. Then he ended up getting hurt, so we didn't really get a chance to see that really come together. The point of this is, is if you have the focus of the opposing defense, what do you do with it? How do you use that to your advantage? And I'm excited to see what Rich Gangarello is going to do. Yeah, and we know what Rich Gangarello did with George Kittle. Another Iowa tight end with right around 4-5 speed there, just like Noah Fant has now. We touched on this last week. The round one rookie averages for tight ends over the last 30 years. 33 receptions, 369 yards, three touchdowns. If Noah Fan has that kind of season, frankly, I'm not happy with that. I don't want to see him have an average season. I think for the Broncos and this offense to work, he needs to have at least 50 catches, at least 600 yards, and at least five or six touchdowns. So what if he has that production, but the overall tight end room is improved? So I'm not saying you're wrong, because I think a lot of people would be disappointed by that. The expectation when you draft Noah Fant is not an inline blocker, even though he can block. We'll dispel that now. He can block, but let's just say the tight end room has production closer to what Joe Flacco did in Baltimore has production closer to that 800-plus yards, up to up to 1,000 yards from the tight end room and, and double-digit touchdowns, and he's just a piece of that, what are we saying then? Well, it depends what kind of piece he is. Is he a piece of that? Let's say you have 90 receptions from the tight end position, and he has 40. That's okay, but I'm thinking, okay, I want a little bit more from him than that. I think the touchdown number is the big number for Noah Fant and this tight end room. Since Julius Thomas departed in free agency, there are only two teams, the Rams and the Jets, that have had fewer touchdowns in the regular season from the tight end position than the Denver Broncos. And that is something that has to change because while you have had quarterback issues and we've discussed them ad infinitum, ad nauseum, there's no reason to revisit them here things would have looked at least a little bit better for your red zone offense if you had the consistent pass-catching threat, the guy who could get five, six, seven touchdowns a year from the tight end position. Now, Julius Thomas, he took it to another level entirely. 
he was in double digits. I'm not saying that that's my expectation for anybody in that room in 2019, but instead of averaging three and a half touchdowns per year from the tight end position, which is what the Broncos have gotten over the last four regular seasons, you need to take that total and get it, at least for the entire room, to, I'd say, eight to ten. And I would like for Noah Fant to represent at least half of that since he is being brought in first and foremost as a pass catcher. I'm I'm 100% with you. It's one of those things for the Broncos that it's pretty, pretty much not good enough to be good in the 20s. The tight end is a big part of that red zone threat. And, look, you've got some really big-bodied receivers now with Sutton, Patrick, Fant, Jake Butt when he's available to go. This, this Broncos team, in my opinion, has nowhere to go but up as far as their red zone production. And that's why Noah Fant was such an important pick because you needed to be a better red zone, a better closing team. And that's what I'm expecting this year with Noah Fant. So you're right. If he had that stat line, it would probably be disappointing. But there's a part of me that wonders if just the Titans in general can be a higher level of production. Because simply put, Mace, it's just what the modern offense has become. And Rich Scangarello, I have no doubts, understands that and will use that to his advantage. And Joe Flacco, to his credit, was on the forefront of taking advantage of the tight ends. Of course, it helped that as a rookie, he steps into Baltimore, and there's already a pretty good pass-catching tight end there in Todd Heap, who learned quite a bit from watching Shannon Sharp as a rookie, and that helped him become the kind of player into which he would evolve over time. And you know what's interesting about that really quick? Is that look at look at where things went with with Baltimore and how they almost established a culture of the tight end. I mean, we've been talking about Baltimore tight ends now since all the way back in the early two thousands. They value it, and it shows in the draft. Just last year is an extreme example, but they take Hayden Hurst in round one. Of course, twenty five years old because his sporting life saw a detour into baseball before he played football at South Carolina. And then Mark Andrews out of Oklahoma in round three. And when Hayden Hurst got hurt, Mark Andrews stepped up in a big way. And there have been some misses. Baltimore used a high pick on Max Williams. Remember from Minnesota a few years ago? And he really didn't pan out. Boy, I'm going to admit when I was wrong about a player, I was wrong about Max Williams. I thought working with Joe Flacco in a tight end friendly offense, he would be a... 50 to 70 catch a year stud at the position. Didn't pan out. He was just part of that room getting 20, 30, 35 catches a year, but nothing special or remarkable. Now, I speak of him being part of the tight end room in Baltimore, and sometimes it was a collaborative effort while Joe Flacco was there. But in the end, for those 11 seasons, Joe Flacco was a starting quarterback. Missed some time, obviously, in a couple of those years because of injuries. But for Joe Flacco's 11 seasons in Baltimore, the Ravens averaged 75 receptions from the tight end position. So I ask you, Ryan Edwards, are you taking the over or the under on 75 catches in the Broncos tight ends in 2019. I'm going to take the over and a lot of it has to do with the beginning of this whole conversation on Emmanuel Sanders. You're bringing him along a little slow 
slower probably, less snaps, which means you're going to need production from somewhere else. Being the kind of offense, being the quarterback that you have there and the, the investment in Noah Fan at 20, I'm going to take the over because uh, I genuinely believe in Noah Fan's ability as a pass-catching tight end, and he's going to be a very difficult cover for almost any team they face. I'm taking the over as well. And I think it's possible that Noah Fant ends up with 45 receptions, and then Jeff Hireman, if he stays healthy, contributes another 30 to 35, and then, say, 10 to 20 from the rest of the room. It could be a big year for the tight ends. Now, personally, I want to see Noah Fant emerge as the alpha, and I think he can do some things as a pass catcher that not only lead the tight end room, but maybe even lead the way for the entire collective of tight ends and wide receivers. But... I do feel better about this room than I have in a long time. Jake Butt, if he can stay healthy and he works out, great. But you have some experiencing Jeff Hireman. You have Troy Fumagalli, who I think down the line could be a perfect blocking complement to Noah Fant if you do a lot of two tight end sets. And I think we will see quite a few two tight end sets from the Broncos this year and going forward under Rich Gangarello. The pieces are there. And with Fumagalli as well, he's a good blocker. But as we saw at Wisconsin, he can make plays with the ball as well. There's no reason why he could, he could not contribute four touchdowns, particularly when you're in goal to go. Well said. Well said. Speaking of blocking, there was some news in offensive line world. What a segue. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. I was about to do it. You did it better. Well, that's what, that's what we do, man. We work When you work on a radio show every single day, you get used to uh, sort of finishing each other's sentences. Uh, or sandwiches, as my kids would say, because they're a Frozen fan. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> That's right. Hey, Frozen 2 coming out this year. Literally. Frozen 2, ice hey. harder. <laughs> That's what they should call it. I don't know if they'll actually roll with that. But, hey, listen, if they do, you deserve credit. It's on tape right now. Listen, uh, i got to be honest. The, the news about the offensive line is surprising to me. It's not that I don't can't talk myself into it or think it's a bad decision. I definitely don't think that. I just... I just don't know what the reasoning, the implications of it all is having to do because of the specific players. And, and you'll recap what happened here. Is it having to do with the specific players that, that are where they're at? Is it having to do with the tackles? Is it that there's just so many things I want to know more about because there's just so many implications to it? Well, let's play the Garrett Bowles quote. I asked him Tuesday at the Play 60 All Ability event about. Dalton Reisner, because, of course, we knew that Garrett Bowles had gone to Dalton Reisner's draft night party down in downtown Denver at Elway's at the Ritz-Carlton. And it turned out there was a lot to unpack from what Garrett Bowles said about Dalton Reisner. Here's his response to my question. Dalton, you know, I knew he came into the building. I know he has a connection with Connor. Um, but, you know, when he got drafted, I was so excited. You know, the Broncos finally got me a left guard. And, I couldn't be more blessed to have that kid, so I knew I needed to show him my love and my support. So, you know, I went down to his party down at the Rich Carlton and hung out with him most of the night um, and told my wife, you know, I'll be home in a little bit. So uh, it was fun just being him and understanding his, you know, his family and where he comes from, from a small town and his work ethic. And, you know, we talk almost every day, um, and I knew that's the connection that we need so that when we get onto the field, we don't skip a beat. So let's just take that bit by bit. Dalton Reisner is going to be the left guard. Wow. And they finally got him a left guard, as Bowles said. Which is interesting because a month before the Broncos 
drafted Garrett Bowles, they signed Ron Leary to be the left guard. And then he had to move to right guard because Max Garcia couldn't handle right guard. And then Leary went back to left guard, the position he played so well in Dallas that compelled the Broncos to sign him to a big free agent deal in 2017. And now, according to Garrett Bowles, Ron Leary is going back to right guard and Dalton Reisner is the left guard. And when he said that, everybody's spidey sense went to a higher level because that was not what we were expecting to hear. No. We were, frankly, expecting to hear about Dalton Reisner being the right guard and Ron Leary being the left guard. Well, simply put, I I would have been less surprised to hear Dalton Reisner's the new starting center. I would have been less surprised to hear... And try Connor McGovern at guard Yes, I would have been less surprised to hear that than hear this news. Now... I think we can dispel one thing. It does not indicate that Dalton Reisner can't play right guard, like Max Garcia. Remember the reason why they had to switch Garcia and Leary a couple years ago? Because Max Garcia couldn't play that position. They had to switch him. I don't think this has anything to do with Reisner not being able to play that position. It could, and this is where I think we got a lot of feedback talking about this with the Orange and Blue 760 listeners. It probably has a lot to do with just how Mike Munchak views their strengths. It could also have something to do with how he feels about who pairs best with the tackles. And that part is really, really interesting to me. I'm excited to hear more about it. I'm sure Mike Munchak or we'll we'll have plenty of conversations about this. But does he feel like Leary and James, Reisner and Bowles make the best pairing? That stuff is crazy to me. Yeah, and of course, Ron Leary is working his way back from a second consecutive season on injured reserve so you wonder if maybe the fact that Elijah Wilkinson has been a starter at right guard and can step up if and when Leary is down you wonder if that has something to do with it but it is intriguing I look at the notion of Bowles and Reisner together on the left side as having two players who are young in their experience of course Garrett Bowles was not a traditional rookie so he's not young in terms of chronological age but he is only going into his third year and really only his fourth year of high level football because he started one year at Utah and then turned pro so you have guys with a somewhat comparable level of experience playing together on one side and you hope growing together And then on the other side, Jawan James and Ron Leary, I kind of like the notion of them together because Mm -hmm. I feel like their skill sets complement each other real well. Jawan James is athletic, long, Ron Leary, tenacious, a little bit of a road grader, mauler type of lineman. And maybe those two with some contrasting sets of strengths can work well together on that right flank. In the end... Like I said, it, it, it's in a few <laughs> eyebrows raised into the air for sure. But in the end, there's a very good logical reason for all of it. And I'm excited that Mike Munchak has started to make this his own already. There's there's no, no doubt about that. I like the idea of Reisner and Bowles working together. I think what everybody is, is really hung up on is how Bowles said when he saw Reisner being drafted, they finally drafted me a left guard. I mean... They gave him Ron Leary 
moving him back yeah, over there last year. Right. That's a big maybe, maybe that was a big gain for him, I thought, last year yeah. when they moved Leary back over. The one thing I'll say for Leary is that he's handled the shifting very, very well yeah. over the last couple of years. And it's not like Ron Leary was bad at right guard in no. twenty seventeen. No, he no, no, was no. pretty good. Yeah. So he just happens happens to be a guy who his maybe his natural position is left guard, but he can play right guard and he has that sort of flexibility. But it was interesting. And with Reisner, remember, he's basically going to be learning guard. He hasn't played a lot of it yeah. in his past at Kansas State. He was, of course, a center and then a right tackle. Which is why we all said right guard, mm -hmm. right side of the offensive line. But I, I think in the end we'll come back to this, and, and maybe even when we have a chance to chat with Garrett Bowles down the road, he'll probably amend that by saying something to the effect, I was excited about him being drafted, and after getting in the room with everybody and hearing from Mike Munchak, he told us he's going to play left guard. and Because generally speaking, Mace, and you've been covering NFL drafts for a very long time, how often have you heard of a second-round pick being assessed that's my left guard. <laughs> like, just that's it. I mean, with, with no positional versatility, especially along in the offensive line, that actually needs some positional versatility. Well, and I think one of the things that attracted the Broncos to Dalton Reisner in the first place was in a long-term plan for him, yeah, he can be a right tackle if you need him to be, although you have Jawan James. He can play either guard spot. He could be a center yeah. if it doesn't work out for Connor McGovern. For all you know we could be talking about Dalton Reisner center in 2020 because McGovern is in the last year of his rookie contract in the 2019 season. My point is you'll see a true center, you'll see a true tackle, probably left tackle, maybe right tackle. You rarely ever hear of a specific right. guard, specifically left guard, being drafted. But that, then that's again, pretty if, rare. when you're Garrett Bowles, you're left tackle, so you're viewing it through kind of yes. your prism. That's Who is the guy next right. to me? Right. Let's play this comment from Garrett Bowles talking about Mike Munchak's focus on the details. Details. I think that's what it is. It's the same thing every day. Um, we do the same drills every day, um, and it's things that we can you know transverse to the football field. And uh, I think that's the biggest thing that that we've seen, um, that I've seen personally, is just, you know, the transition of watching film, you know, just going on the field for, you know, we're only on the field for 40 minutes and so seeing the, you know, the changes and the things that he has, but just the details in the offense, you know, as we express our offense, as he teaches us our offense, it's so detailed and it's never boring. And I think that's a big thing for us, um, you know, going from the last two years, having the rocky start and now, you know, going into this year of having such high expectations with the new staff, I think that's what they're all teaching us. Obviously, a lot of praise there yeah. for Mike Munchak, and that reflects everything we've heard from players and people around the league who talked about Mike Munchak over the last few months. We've had some of them on our air on Orange and Blue 760. But you kind of parse through that, and A emphasizing details that goes right to Vic Fangio and what he said on the day he had his first press conference and he talked about avoiding death by inches and it starts with getting the little day-to-day -day details right. So you hear Garrett Bowles saying this. We've heard other players talk about the attention to detail and I hate to 
keep beating a dead horse here, but it's a reminder of what was lacking the last couple of years. And when you're looking for what was the thread that caused the whole sweater of Broncos football to unravel in 2017 and 2018, it was the attention to detail or the lack thereof. Well, and, and you have no choice but to read into it that way because we know for a fact, being around the team as much as we are, the details were a problem. And you can see it on the field, game day, details in in-game management, details in position assignment. Confusion. Right. It, it was uh, abundantly clear. And I think in the end we'll come back to this with Vance Joseph that based on the lack of details, he was in a, a bit over his head as a result of at least not having that nailed down, not having the staff in place to help him with the details the detail work that needed to happen, and there was a bit of a, a gloss over, we'll, we'll kind of figure it out as we go along. That's just not really how Vic Fangio tends, seems to operate, and clearly the staff he's assembled. Now, Munchak, of course, was here before, but there's a, an attempt. And this, is, this might come back to the swing from one to the other. So when Josh McDaniels was here, the swing after him was to John Fox, which was a stark contrast to the style of coaching that Josh McDaniels was. You went from a, a young coach that had kind of this belly full of fire and these ideas that didn't all materialize to a veteran head coach that had been doing it for a really, really long time, had a certain level of success, and w- brought a stabilizing force. Then you go back to Vance Joseph and what we understand for his era now you swing the other way but only in the details you still went defensive minded coach you did go veteran coach you but not much a, more experience much in more terms experience. of calling defenses right. running a side of the football yeah. Vance Joseph only had one year as a defensive coordinator and Vic Fangio had been running defenses since the first Clinton term <laughs> right since Carolina's first season as an expansion team back in 1995 but it's a swing in detail work it's, it's, it's night and day, at least the perceived detail work. And I think while Munchak is the most prominent example because of his renown as a position coach and his time-tested ability in both Tennessee and Pittsburgh to maximize what he has, I do think that you hear similar stuff from other rooms as well that if you ask, say, Deshaun Hamilton, you'd probably hear about details, even though Zach Azani is back for a second year as position coach. I think that's just something that is going to be hammered home to these guys. Details, fundamentals, getting the core things right, and then building out from there. And that's why, frankly, Ryan, I think this team, for better or for worse, it might be a little bit of a work in progress early as they continue building on core concepts into the regular season to where they might be doing some different things, executing some different things in the second half of the season than they are in the first half because they've been able to build off the core and have the concepts grow more complex and intricate from there. But you can build from that root system. Right. And you can win games from that root system. But... You have to get it right. You have to get. It's basically building the house. But where's and the patience? Where, where the foundation has to be poured yeah. first. But but in that foundation, are they a 500 team this year, building to a co- competitive team next year? 
how patient are fans after basically wandering through the desert now for three straight years? Okay, so let me ask you this. It's a rigorous schedule. We've talked about how there could even be a slow start if the Broncos can't get it done in that Monday night opener at Oakland. So, let's say the Broncos finish 8-8. Eight and eight. But it's an 8-8 eight and eight where they start slowly, maybe say 2-5, and five, and then in the last nine games of the season go 6-3. and three. Would you feel good about that even though it would almost certainly leave you out of the playoffs? Would you feel like that was a good season, a positive season, if they get to 500 and do so with a slow start that effectively kind of takes them out of the division race by early November? But then as you get into November and December, you pick off some upsets, you get some momentum, you get better, and clearly you have the arrow pointing in the right direction for the first time in a couple of years. Yeah, there, there's clearly style points here. I think that's important to say because if we just say out, out and out, hey, are you okay with 500? Are you okay with 8-8? Eight eight? Nobody's going to say yes, but it's the way you get there. Now, you have to factor in, too, are you beating teams like the 49ers were able to do a couple of years ago where they're picking off teams for the most part. I know they had a Jacksonville win in there that was impressive, but they were picking off teams that were out of it, and they were Tennessee out of it Tennessee was in the playoff race, and they won a playoff yeah, game that Tennessee year. Tennessee was a mixed bag. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm not going to – they were in the playoffs, sure, whatever. But, but you understand my point. You were picking off teams that were bad teams, and you were a bad team, and nobody expected anything from you anyways. That said, the Broncos don't really have a ton of that on their schedule anyways. So – yeah, the way they get there is, is a big deal, and I'm sure if we get to the end of the season at 8-8 eight and eight and everything broke the way you just described, I'm sure we're coming out of that saying, think about what this team can be next year. Now, is that good enough for Joe Flacco to keep his job? That's a whole other conversation. And that's another thing that comes up because let's say you are 2-5 and five after seven games, 2-6 and six or 3-5 and five at midseason, and Joe Flacco – is not doing that well, then if Drew Locke has shown progress, at what point is he out there? I think uh, one of the things that's interesting, I actually took a look at Joe Flacco's passer ratings as I knocked down my cup. Thank you, Ryan. His passer ratings after eight games over the course of his career. Last year, his passer rating after eight games was 84.9, 12 touchdowns, six interceptions. In 2017, after eight games, eight weeks, they had not had their bye, 72.3, six, six touchdowns, eight interceptions. In, 20, in 2016, with the Ravens, Joe Flacco's passer rating after eight weeks, this was seven games, 75.4, five touchdowns, six interceptions. In 2015, the rating after eight weeks, a 2.8, 10 touchdowns, 8 picks. What I'm saying, Ryan, is if that midseason stat line looks more like 2016 and 2017 than 2018, and the Broncos are struggling, and Drew Locke is playing well on the practice field, I'm not saying there'll be a quarterback controversy in the locker room, in the halls of the UC Health Training Center. I am saying that the community maybe calling for a change. Well, and if you, uh, you laid out that 8-8 eight and eight season, if uh, going back to that for a moment, if it's Drew Locke that leads them to that 6-2 and two mark. Oh, you're going crazy. Yeah, exactly. It's like Green Bay yes. in 2008. Yes. And, I know, and, yeah, we're going back to the Favre-Rogers thing. John Elway brought it up. But that year, 
Rodgers started the whole year. The Packers went 6-10, and ten, but Aaron Rodgers did so well that most Packer fans I know, and I married into a Wisconsin family, so I know a lot of Packer fans, felt pretty good at the end of that year. That's right. 6-10, and ten, oh, it's not what we wanted, but we had a lot of injuries, and we got our got quarterback. quarterback. Yep. We got our guy. We we're not going to have to wander through yep. the wilderness. wilderness. It's going to be a smooth transition from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. That's it. And that's what I'm saying. Yes. So if it were to close like that and Drew Locke's the guy, 8-8, eight and eight, who cares? You, you have found your guy, and you're clearly building for something really special the next year. Yeah, then it, there's a lot of excitement, even with missing the playoffs. And I'm trying to be optimistic here on a gray, cloudy, rainy day here in Broncos country. Before we go, and thank you, Ryan, for joining the conversation, but before we go, we had a chance to talk to Dakota Watson. He's coming back to the Broncos after a couple of years in San Francisco. Special teams captain back in 2016. He'll be backing up Von Miller and Bradley Chubb at outside linebacker. Dakota, he's been in the building the last couple of weeks working out with his current teammates. He joined Steve Atwater, Ryan Edwards, and me on Orange and Blue 760. Here's that conversation. Dakota, you're on with Ryan Edwards, Andrew Mason, and Broncos Ring of Famer Steve Atwater. How are you, man? What's up, Dakota? Dakota? Doing, doing very well. How, how y'all doing? We're doing great, man. Welcome oh, back yeah, to man. Denver, man. It's uh, it's oh, been yes, a minute. Sir. Oh, it's been a while. It's been a while, but it, <laughs> I'm just glad to be back, without a uh, doubt. All right, so let's let's go to draft night uh, or draft weekend in this case. You, uh, mm-hmm. h- how did you find out you were going to be traded to the Broncos? I was actually in Napa Valley on my anniversary. Oh, chilling. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they called me on Saturday. I seen that uh, my GM was calling from San Francisco. I said, oh, God, this can't be good. And I know that he just picked up Bosa. So he called. I hung up. <laughs> oh, wow. Then, uh, he called He called right back again. I hung up again. <laughs> and he sent me a text. He said, we need to speak to you. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and I called him back, and he told me that he was going to trade me. And my heart dropped because I was like, oh, my God, I'm about to go to somewhere I definitely don't want to be. And when he said the Broncos, I said, well, how about that? So it was perfect. I'm glad they was able to work that out. They knew that I, I enjoyed it here and, and, and loved the Broncos. So I'm glad they was able to work things out that way. The year you spent with the Broncos, what did you enjoy about it compared to other stops in your career? Just everything. One, one I just love the city. I mean, I'm a country boy, so be able to see the mountains and everything, the view, just the smell, just the atmosphere within itself is awesome. I love the fans. Um, one of the most exciting stadiums that I've ever been in. And then, of course, the camaraderie and everything that I had here, not only with, you know, my, my players and my teammates and things like that, but the organization within itself. I mean, from, you know, the cooks, the janitors, the, the, the security, the training staff, the equipment staff, everybody. I mean, I loved everybody. So I felt at home. I felt respected. I felt not just just a player, but um, I felt a lot more. So um, those were a lot of things that that had me not wanting to leave in the first place and was happy to come back. Yeah, yeah. I experienced all those things. I you know, I, I was drafted here <clears throat> and then I left and I played a year with the Jets. I'm like, oh man, all teams aren't the same. <laughs> yes, sir. Exactly. <laughs> all things aren't the same. Now Dakota, what what do you anticipate your role being uh this upcoming year here with the Broncos? Yes, sir. I'm gonna say the same thing that I said when I first got here. I I wanted to do anything that I need to do as far as contributing, whether it's playing defense, whether it's playing special teams. Whatever it, whatever it needs to be done, I just want to make sure that I put my best foot forward, and uh, and and then just get some wins. That's that's what it's all about when it comes to this league. It's just win to be able to contribute and do as much as you can to stay in the league as long as you can. 
Absolutely. Now, it was a different outside linebacker room when you were here in 2016, yes, man. And so we, we were talking about that right before we brought you on. It's like, boy, I mean, that, that room, I mean, other than Von Miller, really, it's, it's completely remade. Do you feel like that's a, a bit of a path for you to get some more playing time on defense? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I'm not going to sit here and try to, you know, hype myself up or get anybody else excited about me playing. Um, we'll see. I mean, we got a great, great outside linebacker room. I mean, starting with Vaughn, of course, and then Chubbs. I mean, I've been watching him for for that whole season last year, and I, just a phenomenal job. And then we got some other guys that, like I say, I'm still getting to know. But um, for the most part, as as far as the characters are concerned, you know, we've got some great guys. You know, of course, I'm going to miss Shay, and of course, I'm going to miss Shaq. And, uh, some of, the, uh, some of the other guys that I play with, but at the same time, you know how this business go. Never can get too attached. It's like watching Game of Thrones. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so have you had a chance to get to Denver and be part of the off-season work just yet? Oh, yes, sir. I've been here. This is my second week already. Um, did some community service events already and things like that. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump in like I, like I never left. I'm do whatever mm-hmm. I need to do to be able to contribute, to get myself better and make sure I make the team better by them bringing me back here. Cool. So what are your first impressions of Vic Fangio and Ed Donatel running that defense? Oh, man, they, they they want us to play fast. I mean, I think the fundamentals are huge. I think that's one thing that we're particular on right now is the fundamentals and working on the small things. And uh, I look forward to, to working with them in the future, and I think that we're on a, a great start. So, Dakota, if if uh, you were, were going to get traded, uh, you know, from, from the Niners, I mean, is – did the defensive coordinator, did the head coach, did, did that matter really where you wanted to go, or was it was it you know more like weather or some, some something like that? You talking about as far as the 49ers were concerned, or no, them trading no, me to a different team? Yeah, with with them trade with them trading you, what what, what would you, what your preference would have been if you would have had some say so in it? Oh man, um, oh, of course, you know maybe the scheme. I think that plays a tremendous part when you go to a different scheme it's hard to be able to make that transition and kind of start back over and things like that. Um, weather was never. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was Chubbs. That was Chubbs right there talking. Oh, but, okay. Uh, <laughs> but um, it, I, I think the defense played a, a huge factor uh, for myself. Um, cities, it, it really don't matter. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to say that and be politically correct when I say that because I don't want to burn any bridges. If anybody were to hear this outside of, <laughs> yeah. outside of the Broncos, uh, of course, of course. Dakota Watson joining us here. Would have been the Bills. You'd been like, oh, damn. oh, come on. He wouldn't have said that. I'm not going to lie. That's one of the first. People. Yeah, you're not going to do that. Come on, Steve. <laughs> oh my God, please don't. Say it. Uh, Dakota Watson joined us here, man. Oh, okay, so uh, Dakota, now, uh, what were your impressions of of Kyle Shanahan, the way he ran his team? Because I've overall heard pretty positive impressions of the way he, he ran things out there in San Francisco. Absolutely. I, I respect him to the utmost. I mean, I got traded, but at the same time, I felt like they worked out something for me to be able to come back here. They just didn't throw me out there in the gauntlet. Um, and I think they did it. They, they did their homework and everything. But Kyle Shanahan I, I, is an excellent coach, um, somebody that I know, and I feel like I can definitely play for if anything else were to happen and I were to happen to get back with Fortnite, it wouldn't have been a no-brainer. John Lynch is doing a phenomenal job as well in the gym and it's, it's, it's great to be able to have coaches that actually played the game that actually been part of it um the gm part of it met him back in tampa met him again here and um, seen him again here with, with the broncos and then 
you know, he reached out and asked me to come over there. And the fact that they're young and they're being able to relate to us and knowing exactly what's going on, it's, it's nothing but love. So uh, I think they're going to do a phenomenal job. I think they really are turning some things around over there. And I look forward to seeing what what's going to happen for them. Now, of course, you didn't play for Rich Scangarello in terms of him being your position coach, but did you see him at work uh, in San Francisco when he was quarterback coach? And uh, what were your impressions of him there? You talking about, you said who? Rich Scangarello, the offensive coordinator. Oh, here. yes, yes, sir. No, no, that's my guy. He, he, was, a, he was a cool dude, and um, it, was, it was pretty cool to be able to come here and see him again, but I think he did a, a great job, um, very detailed in his work, and um, he was well-liked a lot over there with uh, Seth Fran as well. Yeah, Dakota, you, you mentioned Kyle Shanahan. You know, being a younger guy, being able to mm-hmm. relate to the players, exactly. how do you think that's different uh, with, with older coaches? And, you know, Co- Coach Fangio, he's, I think he's 60, not, not saying he's an old guy because I'm, I'm getting close there too. <laughs> but yes, sir. Yes, sir. H- how do you imagine uh, he'll be able to communicate? It, all indications are it's gonna be, he's going to be great at communicating with young guys. But what's that difference like, though? Being able to relate to a young guy, um, it's, it's one thing that it's kind of like, a, I don't want to use the word comfortable, but being able to relate and kind of have like the same lingo, kind of understand. Like, it, it's just something as simple as Cal, Cal, Coach Cal, that's his favorite rapper is Lil Wayne. Mm-hmm. I like Lil Wayne. Me too. So if he listens to that type of music, this and that, okay, well, then there's something that we can relate. It's something that's that small that you know you can, you can relate to and it makes you feel like, okay, well, I can go to war with this kind of guy or whatever. Not saying that I can't do that with Coach Vic. I haven't got to know, know him, you know, uh, a heck of a lot in the past two weeks. But at the same time, that's something that you can build on. But at the same time, when you have a younger audience and you can relate to a younger audience, it, it really is something that can be beneficial. Right. Last question for you, Dakota Watson joining us here. Uh, you've, you've talked about your impressions of uh, Vic Fangio at Donatel. Um, have you had much interaction with uh, special teams coordinator Tom McMahon yet, and what have, what have you thought about him? Yes, sir. Just one of the first guys that I met when I first got here, and I think that he's going to be a great asset um, here. I mean, I know he's been here since last year, but I think that if he doesn't pick up uh, more this year as well, I, mean, I, I, I like him personally. Um, I, I remember his work over there with the Colts and um, – I actually had some teammates that I actually had played with that talked very highly of them, very, very passionate about the game. And that's one thing that I love and I I, I will, will forever admire about him is the passion that he has for the game. Now on special teams, you were one of the leaders of that unit when you were here in 2016, a team captain uh, as named at midseason of that year. How do you show your leadership in that phase of the game to your teammates? Uh, by, by showing up to work and doing it correctly each and every time. It's not about just talking. It's about and not even living in the past. It's about what I can do now, me being detailed on my work, and then more so having fun, showing these young guys, you know what, a lot of your opportunities can come from being a great special teams player, and then that can carry on for a long, long period of time. I mean, heck, I've been playing. It's going to my 10th year, and, I mean, I'm still doing special teams, but at the same time, I, I don't know if it would have worked out if I would have just tried to be a defensive guy. You know, I don't know. But at the same time, I made my bones with that, and it gave me the opportunity to play defense. And now, like I said, I'm going on my 10th year. Dakota, what, what's your outlook? And I'm, I'm, you hadn't been in the AFC West in a couple of years, but what, what's your outlook on the rest of the AFC West, and where do you think the Broncos stack up right now? Right now, what we can control is what we can control, and what we're going to control right now is what we do 
in the offseason, working on ourselves, getting everything prepared within ourselves, working on the playbooks, fundamentals, being detailed on our work. I'm not going to sit here and talk about anybody else. And uh, everybody in the NFL right now, 32 teams, have the same ambition and has the same dream and still very, very good. But, you know, it's a different story once you get into that season. So to speak that far or try to speak that far into the future, I think that's – I don't think that's smart to do at this point in time. You know, one of the things I like most about Dakota Watson is that he embraced what his role became. Some guys – they get into the league, and they've been football stars their entire lives, and they find out that they're a backup, and they don't necessarily embrace special teams. Dakota Watson, to his credit, chose to do that, and he has built himself a long career now based on being a reliable backup but being a core special teamer. Ryan, it would not come as any surprise to me if we're talking about Dakota Watson wearing that C patch for being a captain on his jersey again this year like he did in 2016. At this point, I'd be a little bit disappointed if he isn't, to be honest. he that They make that trade. Right now, special teams can use a leadership voice like that, an experienced voice. He's clearly got plenty of that. And they also need a third outside linebacker, maybe even a fourth outside linebacker, and he fills that need. I, I thought it was a great trade for a lot of reasons. I also like what he said about Rich Scangarello. Yeah. Obviously, Offensive coaches don't have much to do with defensive players yeah. generally, but there was some genuine excitement from Dakota Watson talking about Scangarello and his affection for him. I just still can't believe he hung up on John Lynch twice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, that's, that was such a great story, and he's such a good locker room guy. I'm, I'm excited to have him back. Yeah, great to have Dakota Watson back. Looking forward to a good season from him and hopefully from the Broncos. Of course, like I said, rookie minicamp this weekend, Mother's Day weekend, so plenty to come from the UC Health Trading Center on DenverBroncos.com and the Broncos 365 app. Next time I'll talk to you, we'll be with the esteemed Jim Sakamano. We're going to record another Broncos history podcast focusing on the Broncos 100. You can vote on that right now at DenverBroncos.com. Of course, choose your 100 favorite Broncos. For me, I chose the greatest, in my opinion, but you can choose your favorite. It's up to you. Go vote on that at DenverBroncos.com. We'll have more conversation on that in the Broncos Audio Zone in the podcast section. Keep joining us. We appreciate you listening today. For Ryan Edwards, I'm Andrew Mason. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time we go Horsin' Around. This has been another edition of Horsin' Around with Broncos insider Andrew Mason. Check out Mace on DenverBroncos.com and weekday mornings at 10 with Steve Atwater and Ryan Edwards. That's how we get it done. We'll see you next time on Horsin' Around.